Welcome to Patriot Radio News Hour. The number is 800-951-0592, allamericangold.com. We're coming to you live from 1010 KXXT, Family Values Radio in Arizona, also 1360 KHNC, the heart of Northern Colorado. So, wow, this week we are going over the basics of our modern economy. And yesterday we covered fractional reserve banking and how money is created out of thin air, roughly nine times over what the original uh, loan was for. We talked about inflation, that invisible tax imposed on you by the Fed at about 2% a year. And we also talked about how inflation is calculated using the consumer price index and what is actually counted, how it's counted. Now, today we're going to talk about the FDIC, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, and bailouts. Okay, So also yesterday we talked about supply, demand, and equilibrium. So some of these things may be just common sense for people. Sometimes Some of this may be new for people. The reason we're doing this is just to get a good foundation because on Friday – Jason and I, we want to do a show about Andrew Jackson and how he killed his version of the Federal Reserve when he was president. And just to give you an idea of where we are now and what it could have been like had we stayed without a central bank is very telling, okay? Uh, having sound money, you know, gold and silver, U.S. currency just that, that has value to it, something that you can touch and feel, and you know that it's not impacted by a central banker or a cabal or a cartel of central bankers, that that's good to know because the reason we have the FDIC now is because people did not trust banks during the Great Depression. So the FDIC was created during the Depression to reassure depositors that their money was safe at the bank and after a huge number of bank failures destroyed confidence in the banking system. Now this is where the term cold hard cash comes from. Uh, people put their money in the freezer because that's the last thing that would essentially burn up in a fire at your house. People also buried their money in mason jars in the backyard. They stuffed it into mattresses so if their house caught on fire they were shoving their mattress out the window to save their money and some of them hit it in the walls of their house there, there's all these stories of people that have bought houses and they get in there and they're doing a rehab on it and they rip out a wall and they find all this cash or they're digging out in the backyard and they find a mason jar of, of money because people did not trust banks back during the depression now let me give you a little story about how one guy was affected during the great depression his name was George Gellies, and George Gellies had saved $1,000 at the Bank of the United States. Now, it had taken him 10 years to save $1,000 as a janitor, okay? Now, he stood outside of this bank, the, US, the Bank of the U.S., for two days in the rain, you know, in the cold weather. It was a shuttered, closed bank, and he realized he would not see 10 cents of his money, not 10 cents of it. Okay, He went home to his basement apartment where he hanged himself in desperation. This is what bank failures did to people. It crushed hundreds of thousands of people like George Gellies. Now, if you want to see that story, if you want to hear it, I suggest you go to The Century, and it's called Stormy Weather. It's a documentary on, on the Great Depression that ABC News did, Peter Jennings. It's actually pretty decent. The one thing that it does omit, though, is the Gold Confiscation Act of 1933. Obviously, that's not too popular when we want to talk about FDR, because that's where you got suckered, uh, citizen, where we'll pay you $20.67 for your $20 gold piece, and then six months later, we'll revalue 
an ounce of gold up to up to $35. So you took a huge haircut on that. Now, at least the government had some honesty back then, some honesty, not 100%, where they actually kept the backing of the paper money that they were sending out, backing it by gold. So they took all that gold, melted it down into bars, and they're saying that they didn't even waste the time to take the the copper out of it. So they, they say these some of these bars at the uh, at Fort Knox, assuming it's still there, have a very shiny color to it because the copper impurity basically is still in that in those gold bars. So at least the gold bars were still there that they could print the money off. Now, did they inflate it? Absolutely. You know, they jumped up an ounce of gold by 15 bucks to $35. But now it's backed up by nothing. In 64, they took the uh, silver out of the coinage. And then in 71, Nixon uncoupled gold from the dollar. And now we have the free-floating currency that, that we have today. So when, they, when you see on your Federal Reserve notes, some people like to call them fraudulent reserve notes, that this money is legal tender for all debts public and private well that's not necessarily the case anymore there's places that won't accept cash but also there's really nothing that backs up the united states government dollar except the full faith and credit of the united states now we talked about quote air quotes the system last week uh do you trust that system you know today does it work for you or does it work against you does the federal reserve work for you or does it work against you it's taking 2% of your value of your money every year. That's working against you. Unless you have some sort of investment instrument that's making more than 2% a year, you're not, you're, you're not going to break even and you're, no, you're going to fall behind because of inflation. So that is a problem. That's why we sell gold and silver to hedge against inflation. It is a solid store of value, something you can touch. It has no counterparty risk like a dollar. It's not created out of debt. When you buy that gold and silver, it's yours. You store it away wherever you want, and when you need it, you pull it out and you use it. That, that, it's an alternative currency, basically, even though we're not using that currency anymore. Same thing with junk or utility silver. It's good to have. Uh, we had Glenn Tate on last week, and he talked about bartering with, with utility silver, junk silver, You know, having that hallmarked U.S. gold or hallmarked U.S. silver that people will readily accept. It's good stuff to have. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to talk about the FDIC, whether it could actually back up bank failures if they actually happened. Maybe one or two, but not a whole bunch. And not the big boys. We'll be right back. Patriot Radio News Hour. And welcome back to the Patriot Radio News Hour. This is your substitute teacher, Glenn Biddle, once again driving the bus again today for Joe and Eric. Hey, we're talking about the FDIC today. So the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, when you go into your bank, you see the sign, oh, my, my money's safe. It's, you know, the FDIC backs up your money to $250,000. And the FDIC says that not one person has lost a penny since the creation of the FDIC back in the 1930s and at no cost to the government or the taxpayer. Huh, do, that, do you believe that? There's that. Okay, well, we're going to listen to a clip here. This is a 60 Minutes clip from 2009. The reason it's from 2009 is because there are lots of bank failures, you know, with with the housing crisis and everything. And it talk it shows how what happens when the FDIC goes in and closes a bank. Now they're not going in and, and closing down Chase or Morgan Stanley or Wells Fargo. It's your little community bank that they're going after. Jason, go ahead. A lot of people are worried about their bank these days. While devastated giants like Citigroup get bailed out again and again and again, many smaller banks are failing. 
The federal agency that takes over unsound banks is the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, the same people who guarantee that depositors won't lose their money. Most every Friday now, the FDIC is seizing several banks. You haven't seen these takeovers happening because they're done secretly at night to make sure that there's no needless panic by depositors. But last week, we were given extraordinary access to one of these operations because the FDIC wants you to see what happens to your money when your bank has failed. They're going to start at one branch, pull the cash out, take it inside the bank. This is a team of FDIC agents preparing to seize a bank outside Chicago. What we need to do is we need to pull the, uh, the corporate records. They've checked into this hotel under a fictitious name, CB and Associates. To prevent a run on the bank, they don't want anyone to know who they are or why they're here. You all know that this is for the closing of Heritage Community Bank. Cheryl Bates and Arthur Cook are in charge of the operation that has been given the code name Happy. Strange, considering what they're about to do. Do not discuss outside of this room what is going on, what we're here for. They're here to seize all five branches of Heritage Community Bank, a 40-year-old local bank providing savings, student loans, mortgages, and checking. But like so many others recently, Heritage made ruinous bets on real estate. Sheila Baer is chairman of the FDIC. How many banks failed last year? 25. How many do you expect to fail this year? It's going up. There have been 16 already uh, now. And uh, so our, our loss projections are going up. We're having to increase premiums on banks uh, to address the loss projections going forward. It's a very distressed environment right now. I wonder if you have a number in mind of how much the FDIC is prepared to pay right. for bank failures in 2009. Well, uh, we, have, we make a five-year projection uh, that for the next five years we had, we project that we'll lose $65 billion on bank closings. $65 billion. $65 billion. Some of that was about to be spent on the imminent failure of Heritage Community Bank. It held 12,000 deposits totaling more than $200 million. The FDIC team waited for the last customer to leave. Cheryl Bates prepared to go in. What sorts of specialists do you have on this team? We have accountants, we have asset specialists who specialize in loans. We have uh, people who specialize in just the physical facilities. And we have a group uh, of investigators that come in and do a review on the reasons for the bank failure. Really, your whole team could come in and run the bank? Yes. Four months ago, the FDIC in state of Illinois ordered the bank to stop risky lending and raise cash. But Heritage couldn't find new investors. The night of February 27th, no one at the bank knew that the end was minutes away. The FDIC walked into all five branches at once. The chief executive, John Safir, was told that the bank that was his life's work was no longer his. We waited outside as they delivered the news to the employees. With Heritage Bank, your pay stopped at 6 p.m. At 6.01, you went on a pay which is paid by the FDIC. Unused vacation time, you will be paid for it. You will not lose it. In that moment, Operation Happy looked pretty grim. Correct, because I would say a large majority of the employees don't know 
that the bank is in trouble and that it's about to close. We want it to be as seamless as possible for your depositors so no depositor loses any money at all. And they reacted uh, somewhat with dismay and shock that we were there um, and it's, it, it is a very trying period for them so it is an end to that whole chapter of their lives. When we walk in we are appear to be the bad guys. I mean, some of those people have been there more than 20 years. And those are the ones who take it the hardest because they feel that they have put their life into it and now it's no longer there. Make sure that no one comes in without FDIC badges. The employees now work for the FDIC. A public notice went up and that was the signal to a team of nearly 80 people to take over the bank. They took control of the bank website and added a notice that all deposits were safe. Then they started an inventory of all the assets and liabilities. What's happening right now? We're getting the bank personnel assigned with their FDIC counterparts. The accounting people are meeting with our accounting managers. And then we have an investigations group that comes in and does a review of the bank. They broke the news to the media and prepared to reopen the bank Saturday morning, as usual. What do you expect from the customers? I think the customers will, some of them will come in with a sense of, of fear. Fear created the FDIC in 1933, after the Depression set off panics that wiped out even healthy banks. We've been around for 75 years. Nobody's ever lost a penny of insured deposits. No, no depositor no, has ever lost a penny no, since the FDIC no. went into business. That's right, of insured deposits. That's absolutely right, which is why you need to make sure you're below the insured deposit limits. But no, no one's ever lost a penny. And the insured deposit limit is what? Right now it's 250000 That's the base limit. When the FDIC comes in and makes depositors whole at a bank that has failed, right. is that tax money? No, it is, uh, it is money from our reserves, which, and we are funded by insurance premiums that are assessed on banks. So, no, it, it is not taxpayer money. FDIC Chairman Sheila Baer is a former Treasury official and professor of finance who's written children's books on the wisdom of saving. Maybe some of the CEOs on Wall Street should have read the children's <laughs> books. Maybe so. <laughs> Maybe so. Baer warned two years ago that bad mortgages threatened the financial system. Now she's managing the biggest bank failures in years, including the collapse of Washington Mutual and last summer's sudden failure of IndyMac in California. We were told we would get in. Stay open an extra hour! When IndyMac failed, you were watching these scenes on television yes, of people lining yes. up outside the bank like it was 1932. Yes, it was. It was what amazing. did you think of that? So I think people just forgot that banks do fail and how the FDIC works. Their money was safe. It was safe. It was probably the safest place in the world to have your money because we, we were operating the institution at that point. What sort of hit was that on your balance yeah. sheet? I think we ended up to, uh, it was over $9 billion for a $33 billion. Yes, it was very stiff. The question becomes, how many times can the FDIC do that? At what point is the FDIC broke? The FDIC is backed by the full faith and credit of the United States government. So if we need to, we try not to and don't want to, but if we need to, we can borrow from Treasury to uh, make up for any shortfall. So the FDIC never goes broke? We don't go broke. No, we're, we are the government. We're backed by the full faith and credit of the United States government. But customers at the former Heritage Community Bank outside Chicago weren't so sure about the safety of their money. On Saturday morning, the bank reopened on time, morning. and the FDIC's Ricky McCullough stood at the front door. The people who were coming in this morning, what were they asking you? Can I still write checks? 
Uh, can I access my safe deposit box? Uh, can I use my ATM machine? And to all of those questions, you answered what? Yes. Customer Bill Hess showed up on a mission with an empty briefcase. He intended to leave with all of his money. We'd be glad to ask any questions for you. I don't care anymore. He said, I don't care anymore. And so I became a little concerned. So I, I came inside. And uh, one of the things that he told me as he opened up his briefcase, he said, well, I don't have a gun in here. So I said, well, that's good. I can't wait. McCullough explained to Hess and his wife, Audrey, that their savings were safe. So if you have a single account, that's 250 If you have a single account, that's 250 So now that's 500 Hess's briefcase was empty when he came in and empty when he came out. We just thought we were going to see closed and the doors locked. <laughs> yeah. You know. So how do you feel now that you've talked to them? It's fine. Assured. Yeah. Assured. Yes. You feel fine. assured. Yes. Yes. You had confidence in yeah. the FDIC. The FDIC. Right. right. Yeah. Right. Now, if they can't pay you, then I won't have confidence in them either. <laughs> One customer did take most of her money out, but for many, their concern was for the bank employees. I hope you all stay, and I hope they don't let anybody go. We're fine. Good. You just keep coming back to see us. There are three ways the FDIC takes over a bank. It can close it and pay off depositors, run the bank itself, or more often, it'll try to find a buyer. Yeah, we do have uh, bids from five different parties. A few days before the takeover of Heritage Community Bank, we were at the FDIC office in Dallas, where they were holding a secret online auction in hopes of finding a buyer for Heritage. I wanted to congratulate you. We've uh, chosen to accept one of your three bids. The winner was MB Financial, a $9 billion Chicago bank. The night of the takeover, all of Heritage Community's branches became MB Banks. Mitchell Feiger is MB's CEO. It's almost as if nothing had happened. Uh, almost nothing did happen. Uh, it's, it's the same products, it's the same services, it's the same people taking care of the same customers. It was a sweet and, deal uh, for Feiger. The FDIC paid MB Financial $3.5 million. MB got all of the deposits, customers, and loans. If some of those loans go bad in the future, the FDIC will pick up at least 80% of the losses. We wondered what Figer thinks of the health of banking today. You have to believe that dozens and dozens and dozens of more banks have to fail. But it's okay. What do you mean it's okay? It's okay because I think the process is smooth, depositors are fully protected by, by an industry-funded FDIC insurance. Um, uh, and I think that uh, taking out the weak players and taking some capacity out of the industry is good. It's good for the industry. It's good for the survivors. It will produce, at the end, a much healthier banking system. If you can put Heritage Community Bank uh -huh. out of its misery, uh -huh. why can't you do the same with Citigroup? First of all, I, I don't talk about open and operating institutions. We can only uh, uh, deal with the resolution of a bank, a, a federally chartered or state chartered depository institution. And uh, these very large institutions that are creating the headlines now, these are really very large financial organizations. So they ha it's more than a bank. It's a broker-dealer. It's offshore operations. It's foreign deposits. We notice that while giant banks get bailed out, investors in failed community banks like Heritage get wiped out. Ben Bernanke, the chairman of the yes. Federal Reserve, says that the system is unfair for smaller banks, and that's just the way it is. Well, uh, I think that's true. And going forward, I think we need to really review the size of these institutions and uh, whether we should do something about that. Bear surprised us when she suggested that maybe the mega banks, those bailed out by the taxpayers, 
shouldn't be allowed to exist in the future. You know, I think that may be something that Congress needs to think about. Actually limit how size. big yes, a bank right. can be. Yeah. Well, you know, I think taxpayers rightfully should ask uh, uh, that if an institution has become so large that there is no alternative except for the taxpayers to provide support, should we allow so many institutions to exceed that kind of threshold? And the idea would be that no bank would grow so large that it posed a systemic, systemic risk, risk right. to the economy. Right. That'd right. be a very different world. It would be a different world. Because Heritage Community Bank was bought by MB Financial, the FDIC didn't have to pay depositors. Even accounts over the insurance limit were safe. For Cheryl Bates, it was her fourth closing this year, but certainly not her last. What do you want people to think when you tell them you're from the FDIC? I always want them to think that I'm one of the, the good guys and that we want to make sure that they get their money back should their bank fail, that they are going to be okay because the FDIC is there. All right, ladies and gentlemen, when we come back, we'll talk more about the FDIC. Wow, lots of stuff to talk about from that clip. Stay tuned. Halftime on a Tuesday, Patriot Radio News Hour. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. I'm sure you've heard me talk about the leftist agenda on so many of our college campuses. At Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, we consider it an important part of our mission to call out this leftist agenda so parents can be more informed about where they're sending their kids off to every autumn. However, today I'd like to applaud a college for standing up for what's right in spite of terrible pressure from the left. Scottsdale Community College rightly defended a professor who didn't ignore radical Islam when teaching his students about contemporary terrorism. On a quiz, Dr. Nicholas Damask asked his students, who do terrorists strive to emulate? The obvious answer to this question is Muhammad, but the politically correct left was still outraged. They also objected to such questions as, where is terrorism encouraged in Islamic doctrine and law? Factually speaking, it is undeniable that terrorism is justified within the context of jihad in Islam. Likewise, the Medina verses in the Quran clearly encourage terrorism against non-Muslims. Despite these historical facts, Professor Damask received a stream of death threats and other messages too vile to be repeated on this program. One even called for a shooting on Scottsdale Community College's campus. As you might expect from the liberals in academia, the school initially promised that Professor Damask would be forced to apologize for these questions. However, this didn't deter the conservative professor, who doubled down by citing specific primary source documents proving his point. Eventually, Chancellor Stephen Gonzalez apologized to Dr. Damask and issued a statement to the public about the importance of academic freedom. The statement asserts that education at our institution is open to all individuals regardless of their beliefs or backgrounds. We also expect our students and faculty to engage fully with the ideas and perspectives of others even when they disagree with each other. I applaud Chancellor Gonzalez for taking this bold step and making this statement. The freedom to make civil arguments backed up by facts should be the foundation of every institution of higher learning in our great nation. 
This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Do you have a college-bound son or daughter? Do you care about the next generation? At phyllisschlafly.com, we expose the liberal agenda and anti-Christian mindset found on most college campuses and help equip conservative students to stand up for their beliefs. Visit us at phyllisschlafly.com. And join us again next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. And welcome back to the Patriot Radio News Hour. This is your substitute teacher, Glenn Biddle, sitting in again today. We're talking about the FDIC. That clip in the last segment, I mean, there's so many things we could talk about. So the FDIC never runs out of money. It's like Monopoly Rule Number 11. If if they get in trouble, they can go to the government, the Treasury, and get money. That's That's not the government's money. Ladies and gentlemen, that's our tax money. Glenn, okay, let me let other- me let me react to that a little bit too. I, I was listening yeah. to the whole thing. The way that it seems like it's uh, the FDIC is uh, goes to mom and dad to get whatever they need. Like it's just it just materializes out of nowhere. You know, how, when you're a kid and you need some money, and mom gives you money, it's like it just comes out of nowhere. And to hear this lady talking about, well, your your money is safe and. It, we're going to blow this bank out and nobody's going to have to pay for it. You know, the, you know and, and it's astonishing how that she says that the taxpayer has no liability to, to this. When I go to the grocery store and have to buy a half gallon of orange juice for $5, don't tell me that there's not a cost to this. It's it, it, the, the, the mind warping brainwashing that's going on in that system. That gentleman that came in with the empty briefcase to get his money and how they just turned him turned his mind made him feel safe and he walked out without his money uh because yeah they they used the uh, jedi mind trick on him right yeah right. these are not the droids you're looking for this is not the money you came here for everything is safe now the interesting thing is that the banks pay into into a fund uh based on how how much assets they have now they're not making they're not paying it out it's not coming out of their hide all they're doing is charging you more fees to cover that they're not they're not trust me they're not going to take the loss on that so i mean it's the perfect system to be in and it said heritage had made bad loans and they were they were told a year before to stop making the bad loans they were doing the same thing we talked about yesterday they were using the fractional reserve banking so when somebody deposits into their bank they take 90 percent of it and create new money and reloan it out and it's such a shell game and they're hoping that not everybody comes back into the bank at one time to get their money because if they did, they couldn't cover it, and that's right, the right. problem. Glenn, with, with the bank. I was going to say that if 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 everything is okay, like she kept saying through the whole video, oh, it's okay, everything is okay. Then why was it planned in the middle of the night and done in secrecy? Right. That's right, and uh, that happened to a bank uh, in a town about fifteen miles from me. They came in on a Friday, they swooped in, they took control of the bank, and it's after hours, so it's like six oh one when they come in. You know, because banks close at six, and they put this little sign on the door that said, "If you need your money, go to." fdic.gov and i mean you walk you, and the the atm didn't work until the next week like the, the next monday i mean it, it would it was basically you were cut off and it, it all it did was scare people so that on monday obviously they're they're all outside the bank and it's shut you know because uh, you know if you're a small bank you get taken like i said there's one of three options they're either gonna shut you down take you over or sell you off okay and that that bank the other bank that bought them got a sweetheart deal on that and then if they go under guess who bails them out the fdic i mean it's, it's yep. comical and, and it's you're a ponzi exactly scheme right. it's a ponzi yes. scheme and, and they exactly got to right, make sure Jason. nobody understands it's a ponzi scheme so they got to keep all that paper under wrap right 
And 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 you're exactly right, Jason. She made it sound so matter of fact. Like, oh, don't worry, there's no problems here. And then when pressed on it, at least that was some honest journalism. They're like, well, what about Citibank? Oh, I can't talk about an operating bank. Yeah, you can't because you know what? Those Citibank, how much money are they providing to tax to uh, congressmen to keep the you know the gravy train rolling? I mean that that is huge. Okay, that that's one of the big things that these big banks they get a bailout, and you know there's. The little guy, he doesn't make it. The big guy gets the bailout. Did you want to play this other clip, uh, Glenn? Yeah, let's play that that second clip real quick, and then we'll get into the creature from Jekyll Island. Go ahead. The shocking truth about the FDIC and your bank deposits. I'm Bob Stokes with LEO Wave International. Millions of U.S. bank depositors feel safe in the knowledge that the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation will protect their accounts, even if their bank goes under. Yes, it's true that the FDIC says it will do so. As their website states, the standard insurance amount is $250,000 per depositor per insured bank for each account ownership category. But the question is, does the FDIC have the wherewithal to fulfill its promise? In the event of a major financial crisis, the answer is an emphatic no. Not even close. Here's what the Elliott Wave theorists said in August 2008, near the middle of the 2007-2009 financial crisis. The FDIC is not funded well enough to bail out even a handful of the biggest banks in America. It has enough money to pay depositors of about three big banks. After that, it's broke. No doubt most bank depositors would be shocked to learn this. But think about it. No single entity could possibly insure all of the nation's bank deposits. Yet that FDIC sticker on the front of your bank is very reassuring. The discussions with your banker about your deposit insurance might be reassuring. But something that is not quite so reassuring is from none other than a former vice chairman of the FDIC itself. Here's what Thomas Honig wrote for the Los Angeles Times in a December 18, 2014 article titled, FDIC couldn't cover a big bank bailout without taxpayer support. As a reminder, when the financial industry imploded in 2008, Congress had to pass a special law to fund a $700 billion bailout. The Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation had nowhere near enough resources to fund their resolution. Today, with assets of nearly $11 trillion and derivatives worth $4 trillion, the eight largest U.S. banks are far bigger and hold more derivatives than in 2008. Compare those numbers with the FDIC insurance fund of $54 billion. These are eye-opening statistics. The best way to protect your deposits is to adequately research the banks in your community and pick one where the bank's officers handle their customers' deposits prudently. Indeed, the theorist once remarked, Relatively safe banks may become even safer. If they have the sense to inform the public of their relative safety aspect, depositors in a developing financial crisis will move funds out of weak banks into stronger ones, making the weak ones weaker and the relatively strong ones stronger. But as you've seen, it's a myth that the FDIC can always protect your bank deposits. And it's not the only myth. We have more. Okay, so... Ladies and gentlemen, if and most of the time these big banks they actually know what's going on beforehand, and they're the bigwigs in the bank, 
the, you know, the directors and all that, if, if they're stock, they're selling their stock. I mean, it, it just stinks of insider trading, but, but they're, they're getting out if they can. And then they're leaving everybody else holding the bag when the time comes. So yes, my local bank, uh, where I live had to take the tarp money. Now they say they had to take the tarp money. Yeah. Uh, because, uh, and then remember the, uh, the, the fed and the FDIC, they said, well, we really don't want to, advertise who got money to, to scare the de- depositors into thinking that your bank's not safe. It got out in, in my local community that my local bank took the money. And everybody's like, well, what's going on? Have you made bad loans? Are you in bad shape? And they're like, no, we assure you everything's fine. Everything's fine. And are you willing to take that bet? Okay. Yes. If, if you've got less than 250000 in the bank, you're covered. But if you're a, if you're a bigwig, maybe not. All right, when we come back, we're going to get into the creature from Jekyll Island. G. Edward Griffin destroys the FDIC. We'll cover that when we get right back. Patriot Radio News Hour on a Tuesday. We'll be right back. And welcome back to the Patriot Radio News Hour. We're talking about the FDIC today. And in the clip we played earlier, that Heritage Financial, uh, you know, the little banks get either taken out, sold off, or just shut down, or the FDIC takes over. I doubt that the uh, CEO of Heritage had a senator on on speed dial that he could call up and get a sweetheart deal like uh, Citigroup does or Goldman Sachs. Yeah, that, and that that that's the system, ladies and gentlemen. We've been talking about how the system works for some, but doesn't work for everyone. So, when we get into uh, the creature from Jekyll Island, I, I rave about this book all the time. You can get it on Audible, I think, for a dollar ninety nine. You can take, you can get some good exercise and, and listen to this. G. Edgar Griffin talks about the FDIC, not very flattering terms. Let's listen into a couple paragraphs here. Based on the assumption that only a small percentage of depositors will ever want to withdraw their money at the same time, the Federal Reserve allows the nation's commercial banks to operate with an incredibly thin layer of cash to cover their promises to pay on demand. When a bank runs out of money and is not able to keep that promise, the system then acts as the lender of last resort. That is banker language, meaning it stands ready to create money out of nothing and immediately lend it to any bank that's in trouble. But there are practical limits to just how far that process can work. Even the Fed will not support a bank that has gotten itself in so deeply in a hole that is not realistic chance of digging out. When a bank's bookkeeping assets finally become less than its liabilities, the rules of the game call for transferring the losses to the depositors themselves. This means they pay twice, once as taxpayers and again as depositors. The mechanism by which this is accomplished is called the FDIC. The FDIC guarantees that every insured deposit will be paid back regardless of the financial condition of the bank. The money to do this comes out of a special fund which is derived from assessments against the participating banks. The banks, of course, do not pay this assessment. As with all other expenses, the bulk of the cost ultimately is passed on to their customers in the form of higher service fees and lower interest rates on deposits. The FDIC is usually described as an insurance fund, but that is deceptive advertising at its worst. One of the primary conditions of insurance is that it must avoid what its underwriters call moral hazard. That is a situation in which the policyholder has little incentive to avoid or prevent that which is being insured against. When moral hazard is present, it is normal for people to become careless, and the likelihood increases that what is being insured against will actually happen. An example would be a government program forcing everyone to pay an equal amount into a fund to protect them from the expense of parking fines. One hesitates even 
to mention this absurd proposition, lest some enterprising politician to satiety to put it on the ballot. Therefore, let us hasten to point out that if such a numbskull plan were adopted, two things would happen. One, just about everyone soon would be getting parking tickets, and two, since there now would be so many of them, the taxes to pay for those tickets would greatly exceed the previous costs of paying them without the so-called protection. The FDIC operates exactly in this fashion. Depositors are told that insured accounts are protected in the event their bank should become insolvent. To pay for this protection, each bank is assessed a specified percentage of its total deposits. That percentage is the same for all banks, regardless of their previous record of how risky their loans. Under such conditions, it does not pay to be cautious. The banks making reckless loans earn a higher rate of interest than those making conservative loans. They also are far more likely to collect from the fund, yet they pay not one cent more. Conservative banks are penalized and gradually become motivated to make more risky loans to keep up with their competitors and to get their fair share of the fund's protection. Moral hazard, therefore, is built right into the system. As with protection against parking tickets, the FDIC increases the likelihood that what is being insured against will actually happen. It is not a solution to the problem. It is, in fact, part of the problem. Real insurance would be a blessing. A true deposit insurance program, which is totally voluntary and which garnered or geared its rates to the actual risk, would be a blessing. Banks with solid loans on their books would be able to obtain protection for their depositors at reasonable rates because the chances of the insurance company having to pay would be small. Banks with unsound loans, however, would have to pay much higher rates or possibly would not be able to obtain coverage at any price. Depositors, therefore, would know instantly without the need to investigate further that a bank without insurance is not a place where they want to put their money. In order to attract deposits, banks would have to have insurance, and in order to have insurance at these rates they could afford, they would have to demonstrate to the insurance company that their financial affairs are in good order. Consequently, banks which fail to meet the minimum standards of sound business practice would soon have no customers and would be forced out of business. A voluntary private insurance program would act as a powerful regulator of the entire banking industry, far more effectively and honestly than any political scheme ever could. Unfortunately, such is not the banking world of today. The FDIC, FDIC protection is not insurance in any sense of the word. It is merely part of a political scheme to bail out the most influential members of the banking cartel when they get into financial difficulty. As we've already seen, the first line of defense in this scheme is to, is to have a large defaulted loans restored to life by congressional pledge of tax dollars. If that should fail and the bank can no longer conceal its insolvency through creative bookkeeping, it is almost certain that the anxious depositors will soon line up to withdraw their money which the bank does not have. The second line of defense, therefore, is to have FDIC step in and make those payments for them. Bankers, of course, do not want this to happen. It is a last resort. If the bank is rescued in this fashion, management is fired and what is left of the business usually is absorbed by another bank. Furthermore, the value of the stock will plummet, but this will affect small stockholders only. Those with controlling interest and those in management know long in advance of the pending catastrophe and are able to sell the bulk of their shares while the price is still high. The people who create the problem seldom suffer the economic consequences of their actions. The FDIC will never have enough money to cover its potential liability for the entire banking system. If that amount were in existence, it could be held by the banks themselves, and an insurance fund would not even be necessary. Instead, the FDIC operates on the same assumption as the banks that only a small percentage will ever need the money at the same time. So the amount held in reserve is never more than a few percentage points of the total liability. 
Typically, the FDIC holds about $1.20 for every $100 of covered deposits. When we come back, we'll wrap that up and we'll talk about some current events going on in economics in the United States. FDIC, folks, it is a house of cards. We'll be right back. Patriot Radio News Hour on a Tuesday. Final segment, the Patriot Trading News Hour. I'm jumping in on Glenn just for a second here, Glenn. Uh, just a couple of quick announcements. Uh, gold broke past 1800 this morning and is staying there. Uh, it's a good indication that maybe we are heading up with these prices. Uh, silver's been sitting around 1850 an ounce. There's big moves on the metals uh, happening right now. Uh, we don't have a special today, but Wendy and myself, we're, we're working hard to get to a special for you tomorrow. Uh, if you're very anxious to want to get something, I got odds and ends here in Colorado. Uh, you could call uh, at 970-587-5003, and I could try to set something up with you. Otherwise, we'll, we're going to try to get a special or two on, especially Wednesday and Thursday, uh, with gold breaking past 1800. And it's been doing this where it gets to 1800 and kind of goes back down, but it's kind of broke through and is staying there. So uh, that's... There's some, some very real indications that uh, it's going to continue to keep going up. Glenn, go ahead. Yeah, thanks, Jason. Um, so just a review, ladies and gentlemen, the FDIC, uh, they have three options when they take over a small bank. Now, the the system is very uneven in this. So the big bank, they get bailed out by the taxpayer and the, and the federal government because, you know, they're connected. The little guy, like Heritage, they're either taken over by the FDIC, they're either paid out the customers are paid out and they're closed or they're sold off for a sweetheart deal like we saw so ladies and gentlemen you need to think about that uh when how much money do you want to have in a bank um you know is it protected you need to look before thinking if there's a lot of banks going out the fdic is not going to be able to cover it. and it's a joke when they say that not a single penny of taxpayer money has ever been spent that that's not true because they have as a backstop the federal government you know, with the full faith and credit of the United States. It's just that that is our money, our taxpayer money. They're lying to you. Okay. We talked about that last week. You're being lied to because the system messes you up. Okay. The system is not fair to everyone. And that that is a problem. So we have to protect ourselves through gold and silver to hedge against inflation. We talked about inflation and fractional reserve banking yesterday. That's probably how that heritage savings alone got in trouble by making bad loans they have to because they're incentivized into making bad loans moral hazard as, as was in uh, the creature from jekyll island so it, it's a terrible system to be in and the federal reserve has done it i'm super excited jason for friday when we can talk about how andrew jackson <laughs> dealt with the bank of the united states the second bank of the u.s and and put them in their place and you know they were a political animal themselves which were using bank money to to influence elections oh and glenn i got so, i got one more ah. thing i got one more thing too so the show's getting ready to wrap up not a guarantee but it's a uh, a hopeful <laughs> it's a, a hopeful situation joe is going to try to do some radio tomorrow so you might want to tune in and see if what joe's got to say he's going to have some some he's got a lot bottled up of radio shows he wants to do but obviously he has to get get right but uh, he's he's going to attempt some radio tomorrow, but he can't. We can't guarantee that, Glenn. Yeah, so we'll be standing by just in case. Uh, love being here on the show with you. Eight hundred nine five one zero five nine two. Patriot Radio News Hour. Allamericagold.com. Go to the website. Take a look at it. Um, 
This day in history, Napoleon Bonaparte's army begins its march towards Cairo from Alexandria. Did, I don't know if you know this or not, but Napoleon spent a year in the desert and in, in Egypt. And uh, he, it was an exceptional, cool period of time for him. He actually sat in the sarcophagus in the huge pyramid and apparently had a vision. No one ever knows what he saw, but it, it really affected him. So tomorrow, hopefully Joe will be back. Mind in the store. We certainly hope he's back. Thanks for tuning in, ladies and gentlemen. Do some research on your own on the FDIC. Okay, we've given you the, the beginnings. You find them more out yourself. Okay, we'll be right back tomorrow. Stay tuned. Patriot Radio News Hour. Same bad time, same bad channel.